I'm not in the White House anymore, but I have a, a new source that tells me everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about this guy. What a rat. <laughs> Completely off the record. It's me. <laughs> Wait, is this being recorded? Yes. Yes, we're still on live television. You're not going to mention me by name, right? Of course I am. You're going to make me look good, right? Yeah. Oh, I love this guy. I love All right, now let's take a break. When we come back, we'll have the first returns from the Russian election. Putin won. Just a hunch. We're going to take a quick break, but first, live from New York, it's Welcome to the Saturday Night Live After Party. This week we'll be discussing Season 43, Episode 16 of SNL with host Bill Hader and musical guest Arcade Fire. I'm John Murray and with me as always is comedy aficionado and Canadian Harvey Weinstein, Steve Finn. If you'd like to connect with either of us, you can do so at snlafterparty.fm. And if you're enjoying our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or rather Apple Podcasts. Your subscription helps us grow and your support is greatly appreciated. All right, Enjoy. So, SNL's going to be off for three weeks. They're coming back April 7th with first-time host Chadwick Boseman and musical guest Cardi B. Oh, boy. Chadwick Boseman. He's an all right dude. Yeah. As far as I know. I'm not super familiar with his work. I know he's Black Panther, Mm -hmm. and I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies. Obviously, that's what he's going to be promoting is the new Avengers. Right. I have not seen Black Panther, the solo film, but I did see him in Captain America. Right. Civil War. He was one of the better parts of the film, I thought. Mm-hmm. Probably the best new addition to that whole universe. Yeah, looking forward to that. It, uh, he seems versatile enough to, to be pretty well utilized on the show, so we'll see how it goes. Yeah, prior to his stint with Marvel, he seemed to have some pretty solid, like, deep character work. He was uh, Jackie Robinson in 42. Yeah. And what he was, he had some, oh yeah. James Brown. He was James Brown in get on up. Is that what it's called? I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think so. So yeah, he's, <laughs> he's definitely got some acting chops. We'll see how well that translates to the show, but I'm excited too. He seems like a pretty solid dude. And obviously, you know, he's the it guy right now because black Panther is really dominating and it's a solid movie. I really enjoyed it. So lots of, lots of good things to come in April. And that's going to kick off our, Final five for the season. Uh, I think we're getting two in April and then our May stint would likely be three and that's it. Season 43 will be done and gone. Went quick. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) They go quicker and quicker. They certainly do. As we get older and older. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. This season kind of flew by. Uh, It's amazing that we're actually like 75% of the way through and still haven't really seen Luke Null. Uh oh. Yeah, I'm I'm starting to get worried, right? Like first half of the season, if someone doesn't have a great showing, you're like, well, they still got a whole nother half a season to really have their like breakout moment. And uh I'm starting to wonder if it's gonna happen. I don't understand why they're working against him. It almost it seems like a lot of his material is is musical. He does a lot of songs and he's right. written a lot of comedic songs. They have never let him do that part of his act on the show, not even for like weekend updates, you know. Guys like Adam Sandler dominated with a lot of musical stuff. You know, mm. SNL was never 
not willing to to entertain that. But I don't know, man. I'd love to at least see them give him a shot with that. It's it's starting to worry me. I'm I'm still hopeful, but five episodes left. He needs something big to get out of Rednitsky territory. <laughs> Let's jump into our episode recap. Okay. For our cold open, Anderson Cooper discusses the latest round of White House firings with Jeff Sessions, Rex Tillerson, Michael Wolf, and Anthony Scaramucci. We get some surprise appearances from John Goodman, Fred Armisen, and Bill Hader. Yeah, lots of lots of old friends of the show here. Mm-hmm. More of those than actual players. <laughs> yeah, which is nice. You know, someone relatively new like Alex Moffat holding his own with uh, some uh, heavy hitters. Some you know, some vets of yeah. the stage. You know, that's got to feel good. <laughs> it does. It does. And uh, he was every bit as good as Fred, Bill, John. Mm-hmm. Felt consistent. Felt uh, felt nice. Uh, yeah, I had similar feelings. It wasn't exceptional. Like there wasn't anything that was just like roll on the floor laughing moments from it, but it is exciting when we get these alumni and friend of the show cameos, uh, that just always creates a bit more buzz. So you have something that is fairly run of the mill material, but because you're excited, uh, for the people performing it, it just feels a lot more satisfying. So I walked away from this saying, yeah, yeah, this was a fun ride. I felt like it kicked off the show. Right. Yeah, and um, a lot of last-minute stuff in here where it was covering news uh, that dropped the night before. Right. All that McCabe stuff was like, I think, 10 o'clock at night on a Friday. And uh, yeah, that was a good portion of it. So it's nice that they can write on a dime like that. Yeah, and this is kind of where the cold open can shine because it's something that's pushed late in the week and because the... Uh, sort of talking head sitting around the desk format can be adapted very quickly. It is where you'll be able to get a lot of that stuff. So yeah, yeah, I, I was okay with this. This felt good. I was happy to see Hater in the cold open. That's always exciting because you know how frenetic it is to jump from that into the monologue. And, you know, he kind of leans into that. He shows us what a quick change looks like. So uh, you you just get a a fun sense that he's just such a, a pro that he's okay with like taking on double duty for the opening portion of the show. So yeah, just a lot to like here. Yeah, I would agree. Good. Let's look at our monologue. Bill Hader is still learning so much about SNL. That concept I thought was, was just pretty clever. You know, he's basically stating the obvious. Mm -hmm. Um, It's nothing anybody's confused about. And uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's something, especially a a former uh, cast member should have figured out long ago. Right. Yeah, that notion that someone with 200 plus episodes under their belt doesn't know that a sneaker upper is staged. There is something clever about that. It's a fun little wink to the SNL fans that are up on those sort of things. Yeah. But the monologue comes and goes very quickly because he just abruptly decides that he wants to just jump right on into our first sketch. They do a fun, quick change on screen, and then we're into the Californian. So do you feel like this was the the right way to kind of turn the monologue on its head? Like, was this a satisfying way to jump right into the show? There's nothing wrong with it. It's not unheard of for a monologue to kind of pretty much turn into a sketch, Mm -hmm. even with its own set and backdrop. This may be a first uh, for a reoccurring sketch to be part of a monologue other than the fifth timers lounge. So yeah, that's the, that's the one thing that's bizarre about it, but I thought it was fine. I enjoy seeing the Californians if they can get enough of the, the older guys who did it right. to, to come on. I would have liked to have seen Vanessa and, uh, and Kristen, but uh, Fred and Bill are the, are the meat and potatoes of the sure. Californians. So <laughs> yeah, 
as long as we got those two, I'm I'm down for Californians. Yeah, there was definitely enough to hold it together. Yeah. I was a little bit split on this because it was fun to see the quick change. Like I really like that. That that's kind of neat to see that happen in real time. There's just something about me that loves the tradition of the, hey, we got a great show for you. Arcade Fire is here. Like, I like that they always kind of put a bow on the monologue with the same sort of exit. Yeah. So when they jumped into the Californians, I kind of was wondering, is this a mini sketch that lives in the world of the monologue or are we legitimately in the show? And I didn't quite know. So when they just did the Californians and then it just kind of goes out to commercial and you don't get that little capper on the monologue. I just really wasn't quite sure what I was watching. I thought maybe they were going to play with the Californians format and do something a little bit more meta because it was integrated in the monologue and we didn't get anything like that. So I don't know. I, I guess you have to have the Californian somewhere in the show because it's sort of a Bill Hader staple and maybe they just wanted to just put it out there front and center, get it off their plate so they could move on with the show. I don't know why they chose to go this direction, but it was fun. I just was a little, I was just a little distracted or just thrown off on what they were trying to do with it. And then afterwards finding out that, nope, it's just a sketch, plain and simple. We're in the show moving on. Uh, that just didn't really connect with me. Yeah. No, it's, it's jarring. I'll agree with that. Yeah. They were playing with the format. They were trying to have a little fun with it. I respect it. I just, I wasn't quite following maybe as well as I should have been. So, but you yeah. know, for what it's worth, um, I was playing Lila 2398's Reddit drinking game pretty heavily <laughs> during the show. So maybe I was just having a little bit of trouble keeping up with the show and it had nothing to do with the monologue. So I'll, I'll accept the blame for not being able to keep pace with the monologue this week. <laughs> okay chalk it up to that yeah all right so uh let's get off that let's uh jump into the show proper here we get a live sketch on ireland one's number one dating show kiss me i'm irish one feller must choose between three irish roses ah yes three wee lasses (laughs) what do we think Uh, i don't know my question is is this offensive nah is that that's not the angle we're gonna take on this right like we embrace SNL in the spirit that it's meant to be taken, right? Like, yes. Yeah. So, and, and, and they do poke fun at many cultures, including our own. So, uh, I, I, I think, uh, everyone was fair game tonight. Well, yeah. I mean, I felt particularly, uh, targeted being a <laughs> Irish Canadian drummer. I took a lot of shots. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, this is one, the first of those. Um, yeah, I mean, I get what they're going at. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a smaller gene pool, perhaps, <laughs> among the Irish. And uh, yeah, it, it can get a little, I don't know, blurred. <laughs> sure. The lines. Well, it's really hard to dance around incest, not <laughs> yeah. use the word. Sure. Uh, so let's just get it out there. Yeah. Uh, so I'm not gonna, you know, weigh in on the truthfulness of anything that they were, uh, suggesting in the sketch. I'm just going to take it as a really fun, awkward moment where you have your, uh, one straight person in this case, we've got 80 having to try and keep up with this show that's sort of unraveling into very uncomfortable places around her. I love that. I think that that's a great set up for a sketch and I felt like everyone just really brought good performances to it. There was a lot of fun, sharp Irish stereotypes that they played up to good effect. And I just, I was really grinning. I was really loving this. Yeah. Um, couldn't help but notice the third bachelorette was, uh, his first cousin. Uh, they shared a Nana. (laughs) Yes. If you got that, that's, uh, that's getting pretty close even by Irish standards. (laughs) So yeah, 
it was fun, but it was like, wow, they really went for it. Yeah. In your family, they draw the line at second cousins, right? Yes. As long as the hair color is different. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to layer ginger jeans on top of ginger jeans because then you just get that fiery red train wreck that you know is just going to be mocked into submission at school. Yeah, my aunt, uh, my aunt Liz did that actually, and she gave birth to one big freckle. <laughs> That's what her baby was. Yes. Uh, yeah. So, uh, how about that Aiden Kilkenny? Like that uh, host's name. Yeah. It's a it's a good beer if you've ever had it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there was a lot they got right as far as uh, taking a piss out of the Irish. So uh, I'm counting this one as a big win. I had a lot of fun with this. A big Catholic win. Yes. Moving on. We got another live sketch. Jeannie brings her older husband, Horace, to girlfriend's game night. Thought it was brilliant. You know, there's a lot of uh, stigma, if you will, or um, maybe... Poor attitudes about public breastfeeding. <laughs> it's a natural thing of life, and this is why we should accept it. You know, right? Baby's got to eat. What am I supposed to starve my baby because you don't want to see a bit of nip? Like, <laughs> it's not a big deal. Come on. Even if you got a courtesy blanket, people still get upset. Now, I like this because it kind of turns that on its head. Uh, obviously, the idea of conception is also <laughs> a natural occurring part of life. There's nothing sexual about what was going on. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny, you know, like trying to, trying to desexualize breastfeeding or desexualizing sex. Right. Or, or at least attempting to. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was just a really, really interesting take. And I thought it played funny. Yeah. Uh, it was an interesting take. I don't know if the sketch would have held up if they just took that premise and tried to develop a smart sketch around it. Like if they really wanted to drive home that point, this would have been a very different sketch. Yeah. What it became was just some fun premise to hang a whole lot of hater stupidity on, which works (laughs) in its own way. And that's really what I loved about the sketch. I did think it was smart, at least, you know, in the premise, but what it really comes down to is just the classic. Can we just make a, a mess of a sketch that the audience is hooting and hollering at because everyone's breaking and the stage is just getting destroyed. And you know, it's just this, this delicious train wreck was really what this sketch turned out to be. And for what it's worth, I had a lot of fun with it too. But again, heavily drinking. Don't know if this was a good sketch or not, but I was eating it up. <laughs> oh, yes. And I had a couple myself, but, you know, on my rewatch, in my sobriety, was laughing every bit as hard. Just like Cecily and Melissa. You know, you got to give it to Bill. <laughs> be able to make Cecily break while she's not even facing him. Right, yeah. Just with, a, you know, a simple moan, he can break even the the most pro of sketch performers. So, right. She was supposed to have a little moment there where she's touched by the fact that he comes to rescue her. Like he gives that little impassioned speech to her yeah. friends. And so, yeah, she's supposed to have a line there and she just can't get it out. She just has to just sit there and, <laughs> and focus all of her energy to just not cracking up because she is front and center, right? She's propped up on his lap on this rascal in the middle of the scene. If she started breaking, it's over. Everyone else can turn away a little bit or, you know, compose themselves. But yeah, she really had to take control. And uh, I think that there was a lot more that was supposed to be delivered there that just couldn't happen. Yeah. All right, so enough on uh, Horace. Let's take a look at our first pre-tape of the night, Jurassic Park screen test. Uh, Tried and true format. We've been seeing these forever. We get, by my count, 19 impressions, circa 1992. What do you think? Did these land? Uh, Absolutely. I liked how they went back to the 90s, you know, and used a lot of actors that 
you know, we don't maybe not see as much. People aren't as relevant. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these guys on the show, they might have these impressions of people that have come and gone and don't really have much use for it after all the work they put into polishing them. So Kate McKinnon had a really good Lisa Kudrow. Like there <laughs> wouldn't be many opportunities for her to use that in any present day kind of structures right. for impressions. Yeah. And Sinbad, come on. Like, I forget he exists sometimes. I haven't seen him around so bad. Yeah, I think he was like done and over with even by 1992. So I think they're playing a little fast and loose with the time frame on some of these impressions. But uh, yeah, there was a lot here to like. Yeah. My feeling was about half the impressions I groaned out a little bit because we see a lot of them. Uh, they seem to be some of the staples for some of our players. So I like to see something fresh. I was especially kind of put off by Melissa doing Gwen Stefani again, because she's kind of there as the female impressionist. Mm -hmm. And so I'm thinking these are the vehicles where she can get out something new and maybe, you know, create a little bit of heat for a new character that maybe then gets spun off into some other sketch vehicle. So I felt like that was a missed opportunity that we're going back to the Gwen Stefani. Well, and uh, yeah, I want to, I want to see more versatility there. So that, that wasn't my favorite moment, but there was a, a few inspired moments. I thought both of Chris Red's parts were great. Cause you know, when was the last time anyone goofed on Jaleel white? Yeah. <laughs> Especially the idea that um, he's a player, right? Like, you know, when he drops character, he's got all his groupies or whatever back in his trailer. When they actually jump out of the impression part of it a little bit and build a little bit of world around it or a little bit of story. Those are the funniest moments of these. We got, that with Wesley Snipes too, right? Like where he's talking about how he has this brilliant accountant who's saving all this tax money. Cause obviously in hindsight, we know that Wesley Snipes, I think he did some jail time actually, right? For tax evasion. Pretty sure. Yeah. He got into some trouble one way or another. So they're able to take some of the controversies of yesteryear and play on those a little bit. Same with OJ. Yeah. So those moments I thought were really fun. And I think that's what held these together. Some of the impressions I could have taken or leaving them. I, I maybe would have chop this down by half. I think maybe 10 impressions would have been fantastic for this. Sure. Yeah. And more of Melissa, you know, sure. Throw Gwen Stefani in there, but if if you got a performer that's supposed to fill that niche for your show, yeah, at least give her a couple more. Yeah. Most people had at least two, except for Melissa and Luke. I think maybe she doesn't have a whole lot of nineties era impressions. I couldn't think of one. She does off the top of my head. I kind of wonder if she really is there to be the cast impressionist, shouldn't she be able to come up with a new impression? Like, shouldn't she be able to be thrown someone and find the brilliance in it inside of a week? Oh yeah. Like I, I think about Hammond, right? Like his big gift to the show was it didn't seem to matter what they threw at him. He could turn out new impressions and they, they usually had some brilliance in them. And so I'm thinking, okay, so yeah, Gwen Stefani is her only sort of like, uh, 90s era impression. So what of that? This is still a potential moment for you to shine and show that you can just pull an impression out of nowhere. So that's again, what I would have wanted to see if it was a new impression and you got the hint that this was like new to her too. And she just threw this together. It could have just been a really nice shining moment that maybe the audience wouldn't have appreciated, but the producer certainly would have. So yeah, I just, I wanted a little bit more there. Yeah. But to be fair, Chris red was the only featured player to have more than one impression. And she is still technically a featured, so it, it makes sense in that capacity. Well, I don't, I don't see how. Like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> Either she can turn around an impression quickly or she can't. Like, there, there should have been more here for Melissa. This is supposed to be her wheelhouse. Why did we just get one lackluster impression of someone that we've already seen before from her? Uh, I'm sure we'll have more time with her. 
I hope so. I mean, we got five episodes left this season. I still want to see something that's really going to kind of solidify her place in season 44 as well. Um, so I don't know, <laughs> but well, we'll see. Anyways, we're, we're going a little dark on uh, Jurassic Park screen test. So let's move on. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about our musical performances. Arcade Fire performs Creature Comfort and Put Your Money on Me. You know, I remember this band before all the, the theatrics. <laughs> sure. But uh, I like the direction they take the band artistically. The more money they have to work with and, sure. and bigger budgets they have as they become more successful. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a really creative band and not original just for the sake of originality. I think this is pretty good quality music as well. Yep. I'd listen to it. I'm not going to pretend that I can kind of uh, spin anything significant as far as summing up what their sound is or their genre or anything like that, because honestly, I don't, I don't have a good beat on what kind of a band they are as far as the music they create. So I'm just going to say whenever I see arcade fire, for whatever reason, I'm pretty into it. Like I do enjoy it. Their music is catchy. They have a big sound. They have very interesting orchestrations with some of the instrumentation and other stuff that they weave into it. Their, their soundscape is very rich. So there's a lot that I like here. I'm not a big arcade fire fan, so I just really don't have much else to say on it other than I enjoyed it. It was fun. I was glad to see him. Me too. Okay. Let's take a look at weekend update for our lead in Jost and Che tackle the latest round of white house firings, as well as the latest on stormy Daniels. Some good stuff in this one. Mm-hmm. Usually you can pretty much expect what the lead in is going to be. We got some McCabe jokes, uh, stuff on Rex Tillerson as well. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, obviously uh, more of the stormy Daniel stuff. Cause that's just getting better and better <laughs> as yes. the events unfold. It is salacious. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, pretty much run of the mill stuff. I wouldn't say it's, it's an outlier in quality, Mm -hmm. but uh, definitely serviceable and consistently decent. Yeah. This was definitely still in their groove of, uh, just quality, even weekend update. I felt like the first few jokes from Jost, a few of them didn't seem to land properly or they had a little bit of trouble ramping up, but as soon as they got there, as soon as he landed like his first really big joke, then the energy was there. And then Che built on that with his stormy Daniels stuff where he's pointing out, you know, maybe we don't want to know what stormy Daniels could be showing us. So that was a really fun little bit that he was able to work into the opening salvo. So there, there was a lot here that I, I felt was good and just continuing to keep that quality level high. And as I've kind of, beat into the ground over the last few shows. This is just good weekend update. These guys are really in their groove and I'm just continuing to be very happy yep. with what I'm seeing on update. Trying to forget the image that Che was putting in my <laughs> mind uh, during that, but yeah, I'll get over it. He's six, two and dumb as rocks. We have no idea what he's working with down there. <laughs> <laughs> Not if it's good. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I can definitely get on board with, this weekend update. I thought this was a lot of fun and I think our features continued to keep that rolling. what do you think of Kate McKinnon as secretary of education, Betsy DeVos discussing her 60 minutes interview? Oh, uh, yes. Um, I really enjoyed the take she had on the character. I felt her naivete mm-hmm. that she used to uh, bring this persona to life really fit how, you know, the public views her. Yep. And I mean, there's nothing, nothing profound to say about the writing itself. All you have to do is, is make your political figure a little more self-aware than they are in real life mm-hmm. and kind of admit to their criticisms a little more. And, uh, Kate never misses as far as I'm concerned. So 
yeah, a lot of fun. Yeah, you you kind of said it there. The the fun of this sketch really is that the character has no capacity to spin or obfuscate how she really feels. Everything she says is 100% true to like what's genuinely in her heart. So all of yeah. her, you know, prejudices and biases are on her sleeve. That's the fun of it that she can't help herself. That no matter what happens, anytime she opens her mouth, she's going to say something inflammatory. Uh, <laughs> I like that. I thought that that was a clever way to frame the character and build the sketch. So I thought end to end this was solid, not groundbreaking. Like this wasn't the high watermark for the show, but this was serviceable and solid. And Kate McKinnon did a great job with it. So this is a win for me. Yep. Yep. Now, were we glad to see Pete Davidson again? Uh, this week, he is discussing Cleveland Cavalier Kevin Love's article on mental health. Mental illness. It's it's a touchy subject. Mm-hmm. And uh, Pete's been a real champion of it, which is great uh, for anyone going through uh, challenges like his. I kind of get where he's coming from. I mean, I, <laughs> I'm sure he's exaggerating a bit, but um, it was fun for him to kind of take on that role as a, as a professional depressed person. Yes. <laughs> While, uh, you know, stick to your, stay in your lane, yeah. stick to your basketball there, Kevin. <laughs> uh, yeah, there, there was definitely some fun here. I thought this was good. I thought it was a, a smart take on Pete's situation and also the, the Kevin love article. The only thing that was kind of challenging for me was that we know at this point that Pete's comedy is very much grounded in reality. So when he makes a joke about, you know, his dad dying and him wanting to kill himself, I was finding it a little bit hard to just disconnect from the reality that Pete's been through some stuff and he's talking very plainly about it. And is that really something that makes me want to laugh? It kind of wasn't. So there were some moments there where it was just a little too real for me to be having as much fun with it as I wanted to, but I applaud the fearlessness of it. I applaud uh, just the, yeah, the willingness to put yourself out there in a very raw way and find the the laughs in it. That's a very hard thing for comedians to do. There, there are some that work in that space. I think about uh Tignatero, for example, someone who has been applauded for bringing real pain into comedy and trying to walk that line where you keep your audience invested and laughing, even though there's a lot of truth in what you're goofing on. So there was definitely something to applaud here. It was just a little bit more challenging for me to be really invested in the joke. So that's, that's kind of my only <laughs> hesitation uh, with this part. Fair enough. Yeah. I was getting laughs out of it. Mm-hmm. I could relate to it. You know, it's easy for people to overlook the circumstances of people's behavior. Mm-hmm. People often don't consider the the state of, of mind of, you know, that leads to some actions. And I think this is why things like Pete's piece have to be on, uh, be on the show once in a while. Okay. Fair enough. Let's take a look at our last feature weekend update. City correspondent Stefan returns to discuss St. Patrick's day with a surprise appearance from John Mulaney as Stefan's lawyer and conceptual piss artist shy. <laughs> we knew we were going to see Stefan, right? Like there's no way they're going to have a bill Hader episode and not give us Stefan. Of course. Did we want it? Were we happy with what we got? Yeah, why not? Okay. (laughs) They're not going to get any points for groundbreaking originality by bringing out Stefan. But Stefan is bulletproof. Mm -hmm. Stefan has no expiry date. (laughs) It is made with hydrogenated oil. Uh, It can stay in the shelf indefinitely. He's one of those recurring characters you don't mind seeing consistently for years and years. (laughs) Sure. You know. 
there's just something special about it. It's it's not often you strike gold as as much as Stefan is. Mm-hmm. So of course we're expecting to see him. We're not surprised to see him, but I think we're happy to see him. Yeah. Yeah. This is pure fan service, but it's welcome. I was wondering if John Mullaney was actually going to come back and write the piece or if they were going to try and have someone else on the staff take the mantle of Stefan. Yeah. So it was very cool that they brought John Mullaney out because it's almost like this kind of felt like Stefan's swan song a little bit because, you know, Bill Hader is not going to come back that often. So this kind of felt like it was a chance for them to give John Mullaney the credit that he's due for really, you know, crafting some, <laughs> one of the most uh, celebrated weekend update characters of all time. So I liked associating him with the act that felt really good. It did. Yeah. And it was a solid outing too. I mean, the jokes were as good as they ever are. It's very much paint by numbers, but they always find a few things that still catch you off guard. And uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, a little more socially conscious this time around referring to the little people. Yeah. By their preferred nomenclature, which is nice. <laughs> yeah. I had mixed feelings about that. Actually. I kind of feel like Stefan needs to live in his world. I don't see Stefan as ever censoring the things that come out of his mouth because he's already talking about just the most insane debauched things to begin with. So why would he be preoccupied with whether he uses the term midget or not? Uh, So uh, I I felt like that was a little out of character, but it was kind of a nice nod to how socially delicate everything has become in the era since Stefan has been on the show. So it it certainly said something. I just, I, I don't know if I wanted that commentary in the middle of it, to be honest. Well, yeah. If you went to any of these clubs that <laughs> Stefan describes, I'm sure they have no problem saying midget. Yes. Yeah. Doesn't seem like that stuffy of a place. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's Stefan and that's weekend update back half of the show. We get a live sketch at spirit quest lodge. Reiki healer. Roger explains what happened at sacred rock. What do you make of this one? Uh, I thought, okay, that's funny. You know, this is definitely a trope that, People can recognize Mm -hmm. uh, that foreshadowing in in horror and sci-fi. You're going to go to that cabin? (gasps) Yeah, the big music sting of, oh, danger ahead. Yes, yeah. Yeah, and obviously they ignore it and they go anyway and they get killed (laughs) or abducted. That I thought was, okay, that's something fun to play around with. But they very quickly did not know where to go with that. Mm -hmm. And I just felt the decisions they made for which direction to go, uh, maybe not what I would have went with. Yeah, no, I agree. I'm not certain about this, but this feels like the sort of sketch that maybe got gutted between dress and live. Like maybe there was more to the narrative that got lost in the edits. And so you have this kind of jarring movement from the conversation at the desk to the employees out back, having another alien encounter that just seemed to happen very abruptly and without any kind of good reason, except to, you know, frame the shot in the window so that the couple can have their conversation in front. All of that just felt very jarring to move into that space. And uh, I wasn't really connecting with what uh, Heidi and Alex were saying up front. Like how does that amplify the humor of what's going on behind them? So there was just something that just didn't connect or bring this to a head the way that I would have hoped. And so for that, I was left just scratching my head like, okay, so now Bill Hader has a baby, but uh, why, you know what? Huh? <laughs> that's yeah. that's kind of where I, I was left with the sketch. Like, okay, what, what was that? I'm assuming that's the, the child he fathered with his butt DNA. Right. But I would have liked some 
rationale as to why that encounter happened. And, you know, there was just something that just didn't make sense narrative wise that I was just left scratching my head. Like, how do we get to this point? Yeah. So yeah, there, there was, there was something a little lacking there. I did enjoy the characters. I enjoyed Bill Hader doing his best, uh, like Swedish chef. <laughs> you know, I find yeah. that a very funny character, but yeah, it just, it was just kind of all over the map as far as direction. Yeah. I love how he had to remind him of the actual thing he wanted him to talk about instead of the worky kirky that yes. he saw. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he, he thinks that they're looking for a completely different story. Yeah, that, that was, <laughs> there was some fun there. Before we move off the sketch, though, I want to give a quick shout out to Reddit user official TCGS Dum Dum 17. Great Reddit name, by the way. They were able to make a really good connection. Way back in the day when Keenan was still doing Deep House Dish, there was a performer on one of those sketches called Beginnings Chang, played by Maya Rudolph. And in this sketch, Kyle Mooney mentions that the instructor for the Buddha Groves dance meditation uh, class that they offer at that resort was being run by none other than beginnings Chang. So that's like a very, very deep reference for people that uh, are really up on their vintage SNL. So good on Reddit user official TCGS dum dum 17 for catching that one. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is an encyclopedia of SNL trivia right there. Yeah. There's so many things that come and go watching this show throughout the years that that's so uh, I don't think that's something I'd ever remember. Yeah, no, it was an amazing catch. I respected it. So I needed to give him a little shout out there. Absolutely. All right, moving on. We get a sketch that is very close to my heart. CBC news hour exposes Toronto producer, Thomas Logan as a monster by Canadian standards. <laughs> by Canadian standards. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're much less tolerant of, of things up here in the North. Don't you dare ask that woman where she got her sunglasses. That is clearly crossing a line. Mm -hmm. But, you know, seriously, it's it's a often used tool. Mm -hmm. Just take something and Canadify it. Canada-desized. I don't know <laughs> what the word would be, but... Canadianification. Yeah. You take anything and just make it a little more polite and a little more... Um, friendly? Yeah, friendly. <laughs> just add snow. Sure. And, and you got Canada. <laughs> In the comedy world, anyway. This was all of the stereotypes and tropes that everyone assumes is true of Canada mashed up into a fun little sketch. I felt like it was pretty satisfying because this was a sketch that has so many little Canadian in jokes. Uh, I have a feeling that this probably went over the head of a lot of the American viewers of SNL, but for us up here, I, I think there was a lot that landed. Oh yeah. Tim Horton's got a shout out. Uh, Wendy's <laughs> got a shout out. <laughs> Now, hold on there. See, I want to talk about that a little bit because there was a huge missed opportunity there. And I, I, I got to believe that maybe the graphics guys or something missed the joke on this because the movie was Dave, the Dave Thomas story starring Dave Foley, which I know. before the graphic came up, I thought, okay, the obvious joke here, Dave Thomas, the SCTV performer, you know, uh, Canada's golden boy for sketch comedy. Like that makes perfect sense that they would goof on that. Yes. And then to have Dave Foley be playing them, like there, there's a lot there that would be ridiculously satisfying for Canadians to, you know, be in on the joke there. But the graphic was Wendy's Dave Thomas, which, you know, he's, he's American. He's from, uh, he's from New Jersey. So like, 
what, what, there, there's something that, that got messed up there and that got lost in translation there. That can't be the joke that they were shooting for. Right. I don't think anyways. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll investigate that. <laughs> what I find interesting and what makes it a challenge to be sold this sketch is, you know, we had one of the original public lynchings oh, yeah. for sexual misconduct. Uh, you know, Gian Gomeshi was around the time of, of Bill Cosby right. getting outed. So, yeah, I mean, we have our own issues like this, just like the Americans in all seriousness. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, even seeing the CBC logo, which is who that guy worked for, like, <laughs> you can't help but think about that as a Canadian. But, you know, you still you still get what they're doing. And I was fine with it. didn't take any offense. And, you know, what, which I rarely do. Well, you're Canadian, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Canadian. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obviously they weren't digging deep to paint an accurate picture of Canada because we've got just as many miscreants up here as they do anywhere else in the world. Uh, they just really wanted to play up the idea that Canadians are all meek and nice and apologetic. And because they had Arcade Fire in the studio, it just seemed like this is the opportunity. We can just throw a bunch of Canadian people up there to embrace this, this dumb stereotype. Uh, so I wouldn't dig any deeper on it, but yes, uh, Canada is just as populated by uh, sexual deviants as any other country in the world. So uh, I'd like to just put that stereotype to rest. <laughs> yeah, indeed. So overall though, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Canadian minutia of it all. Were you laughing? Was this fun? Did it connect? Oh, sure. I was laughing. You know, all the stills, all the Photoshop images of, <laughs> of this, uh, this guy with like Mike Myers. Right. And the, I thought they had a really good punchline, you know, as a drummer, you know, I can <laughs> laugh in good fun at a little drummer's joke. I've heard them all, <laughs> okay. you know, but after all the Canadian stuff, after all the, the Irish stuff, uh, <laughs> I was starting to look in the mirror to my left and kind of. Get a little introspective about sure. who I was and the choices I made. <laughs> this one cut you deep. Yeah. Do we have anything else great to say about CBC News Hour before we move on to our 10 to 1? That's it, but Okay. Well, let's take a look at our 10 to 1. We got a pre-tape. Undercover office potty. The only toilet that looks like a lamp. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this, this one obviously connected with you. You, you thought this was great. <laughs> This feels like <laughs> this feels like one of those sketches that took forever to film. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever watched behind the scenes of like Tim and Eric stuff? You you, you wonder how they even got through the takes of what they had to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just couldn't imagine being in that room and trying to film those scenes for that <laughs> sketch without falling over. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with Beck being so brilliant uh, with his kind of like childish embarrassed backpedaling that he right, was doing. Right. No, I use the toilet down the hall like regular yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. They, they smell like regular laps. Me. <laughs> Just, oh man. Yes. I, I had a ball with this. Yeah. <laughs> as highbrow as it was, I had no, no problem laughing with, with the rest of the aristocrats. Okay. That I associate with. I think this was kind of highbrow actually. I think, what was funnier than the potty humor, which was hilarious, right? Like they, they really took it to the extreme conclusion that you wanted. So it was very satisfying just from a very scatological perspective. Yeah. But what I really was grinning at with this sketch was the idea that all of those infomercials 
that they're kind of sending up with this sketch. They're always the idealized version of how you would use the product, right? Like you never see a product break or have any problem in the infomercial. It solves all of life's problems. It is just the most wonderful tool. How did you ever live without it? This is just a miracle tool. Actually, most of them are called miracle something or other you know, for that exact <laughs> or reason. magic something. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're selling the fantasy that this product is somehow going to just change your life for the better. That is the underlying like psychological uh, message of most infomercials. Yes. So to take that and then have this guy buy into it wholeheartedly, like, yes, I do need more opportunity at work to get my work done. So yes, going to the bathroom down the hall is an exceptional burden that I just need to excise from my life. So he just takes it hook, line and sinker. But in reality, obviously this isn't going to fly. So when reality comes crashing down on him, it's Perfect. It's exactly what you needed to see to turn that whole concept on its head. And uh, I thought this was brilliant. I think some of the best, we'll call it like good neighbory type stuff we've seen lately. I think this was like the one that I think was just the sharpest. Yeah. If there's brilliance to be found in it, it's (laughs) definitely the fact that they abandon the surrealism of it all. Right, right. And bring bring in all these people who are just as reasonable as (laughs) the people we interact with in real life. Of course, that's how you would react. And, and that's another thing that gets glossed over in television is odor, smell. Right. Like people roll down their car windows in front of a cop and all this marijuana smoke billows out. <laughs> and people laugh. Ha, 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 ha. And the, the cop's like, oh, have you smoked weed today? No. Like, right. you could smell that. So to actually acknowledge that sense that's not present in media. Right. Uh, the sense of smell, I mean. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good thing to rip on too. So yeah, there was definitely some, some brilliance here, yep. but it is at the end of the day, literal potty humor. Yep. <laughs> take it as a poop joke or take it as a brilliant send up of the stupidity of infomercials. Any way you slice it, this was a lot of fun and an absolutely fantastic way to round out the night. Absolutely. Yep. That is our episode recap. Let's talk moment of the night. This uh, episode is rife with good, outstanding, jokes, moments, gags. I'm probably going to go with uh, John Mulaney's cameo. Okay. Having the audacity to be named shy. I mean, <laughs> that there is brilliant and conceptual piss artist. <laughs> I don't know. I'm never prepared for the word piss. So this one jolted me. Okay. And uh, that's why it stands out. My satisfaction was more meta. I just liked seeing John Mulaney on screen, validating that this was a true Stefan piece and probably one of the last ones we'll see. I'm sure we'll see it sometime down the road, but I think that this was, let's just give John a round of applause. Like yeah. that's what that felt like to me. So that was very satisfying in its own way. That's why my moment beats out the, my other contenders okay. is for that reason as well. Sure. Cause that is a nice thing to do. And I, I think it's nice. They brought it full circle. Yep. Yeah. For my moment of the night, I'm going with that moment in the 10 to one sketch where the illusion is shattered. They pull back in frame and show that Beck is surrounded by like a dozen lamps full of crap. So it's not even like one lamp in the back of the office in the corner where he can kind of keep it discreet out of the way it's front and center. He's completely just buried in these crap lamps and his coworkers kind of pool in one by one and nobody is being (laughs) fooled in the least. You know, they all immediately smell it and the, the whole thing just becomes a devastating train wreck for Beck. 
that turn was very satisfying and it just like, I was all in on the sketch at that point. It just, <laughs> it just like took off. That was the moment where it just really sparkled for me. So I'll, I'll give it to that. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It was great. Cause I thought they weren't going to go that direction. I thought they were just going to be suspicious mm. of the, just the sheer number of, of lamps. <laughs> sure. And then it would be some kind of lead up to them being onto him, but yeah. no, it's like, he's just had immediately. Yeah. So the product, does not work at no. all in its own commercial shows. It. Yeah. There is definitely a more subtle version of the sketch that doesn't end with everybody just like screaming at each other with these quick cuts. But I love that they took it to that ridiculous extreme. Yeah. Uh, that was the moment where everything really started to get exciting in that sketch. So that's mine. <laughs> yeah. Best sketch. What do you got? <laughs> Best sketch. Feels like we're talking about this sketch a lot, <laughs> but I think I got to give it to the, to the office potty. Okay. These good neighbor style pre-tapes, these are often the best thing on the show. I feel bad giving it to this because Bill Hader had a a smaller role Mm -hmm. and uh, we're all excited to see Bill do his thing again, but it was objectively the the highest quality sketch they had on the show, I think. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, I wouldn't argue with you. It was definitely great. I'm a little torn here because I'm trying to figure out how I want to qualify best sketch because tonight had a lot of different sketches that served a lot of different purposes. Yes. You had sketches that just at a technical level were well-crafted, well-delivered. And then you had sketches that were pure fan service, but genuinely satisfying fan service like Stefan. Mm-hmm. And then you had other sketches that just speak to my sensibilities, like the Canadian sketch, but that definitely was not the best quality material of the night. So I've got a lot of stuff in the show that I really enjoyed, But I think if I'm just going to stick to what I normally do, which is try and find one that I think at some technical level has something outstanding about it, I'm going to give it to the uh, Irish game show sketch, uh, Kiss Me, I'm Irish. I felt like that just was very dense as far as how much good Irish stereotype jokes they were able to play up in a short amount of time. Like it didn't feel like the sketch overstayed its welcome. It had a good kind of like laugh per minute rating. (laughs) Everything about it was just very satisfying. And I felt like it was appropriate for the St. Patrick's day episode. So there was just a lot here that I felt was working and it was early enough in the show that it really had me feeling like we were in for a treat. So I feel like it served a lot of purposes. Yeah. So that's my vote. And if you're going to make fun of a, of a culture (laughs) and accuse them of incest, (laughs) they picked a good day to do it. Yeah. If you're going to do that, pick a day where all of them are going to be drunk. Yes. <laughs> there is no Irishman on the planet that could take a swing at you <laughs> on St. Patrick's day and uh, land it without just falling over in a puddle of their own drool. So yeah, this was definitely the, the day to uh, go after the Irish. Let's talk MVP. It's, uh, I don't even know why I'm hesitating. It's, <laughs> it's Bill Hader. Mm-hmm. It's our host and former cast member. Honestly, one of the best players the show's ever had. Yeah. He's in a lot of people's dream casts when people kind of pick like what their dream team would be. Mm-hmm. He's on many of them because of his versatility, just as a straight up funny person and his ability to do impressions. Clearly they're going to give him a hosting gig. They're going to let him do everything he's strong at. So having him front and center as the host is an amazing vehicle for someone as, as talented as Bill Hader. Yep. So no one's going to be surprised. And I'm not going to be surprised when you say the exact same thing (laughs) as soon as I finish talking. (laughs) Uh, I've been giving MVP to the host a lot lately. 
And so I'm trying to challenge myself to get off that track because the host has kind of an unfair advantage in that everybody's trying to write for them. So they are going to be ever present as much as any other cast member might. Yes. So there's a lot of opportunity to give it to the host. Uh, and and maybe that's just sort of the easy answer, but I, I can't figure out any other way around it. <laughs> you know, like I tried desperately hard to find someone else in the show that I thought really brought more to the show than hater, but y- you can't. This was his greatest hits tour. This had Stefan. This had him carrying sketches that were really hung on almost no uh, actual like narrative, like that um, game night sketch. That sketch is purely an opportunity for Hater to just be funny in the moment and get everybody cracking up. And it works because he's there, kind of his gravity is in the sketch, making it funny. So what, what else can you say? I mean, he was in the cold open. He did a challenging monologue, switch up, quick change thingy. Like he just, he did everything. He did weekend update. He was the shining star of the show and there's no way around it. You picked a bad week to try and get (laughs) off of that train. Uh, Yeah, but uh, uh, I'm going to continue to challenge myself and try to be as uh, objective as I can be and not just assume that the host's presence makes them the automatic MVP. Uh, But yeah, there's just, there's no denying it this week. This is definitely Bill Hader's show. Oh yeah, you betcha. On a scale of classic, great, decent, weak, or train wreck, how would you rate this episode? My mind is telling me go with classic on this one. Okay. If you want to show someone a show, like one episode of a show to get them to know why you enjoy it or one of its outings that's high enough quality that'll make a non-fan laugh and get them into it, this episode's got it all. (laughs) It sounds like you're going into a little uh, Stefan run there. (laughs) This episode has everything. (laughs) Undercover office parties. (laughs) Uh, But yeah. I can't think of much wrong with this episode other than, you know, a few uh, misfires with the alien abduction sketch. Other than that, we're, we're dealing with solid gold here. Start to finish. Even, even the band was good. I mean, come on, let's make this a classic already. <laughs> All right. I respect it. I'm giving it great. Fine. I've always been the nicer one. <laughs> I can totally see where you're coming from and I want to give it classic, but the one thing that I feel like puts this down into great territory is that this felt very easy. It felt like they knew Bill Hader was coming. So they just knew that everything was going to work. Like whatever they put him in, he was going to be able to make it better. And so I felt like what the show should have done was challenge themselves to still create solid sketches that would have worked for every host and then let Bill Hader make them classic sketches rather than make Bill Hader vehicles that are wins because of Bill Hader, but there's not much else you can point to that is genius. So I look at like the, um, the girlfriend's game night sketch and I feel like that's very easy. You know, we're going to have him in makeup on a rascal. Like there's just, there's nothing else you need to make that fun. So I, I can't say that's classic because it just didn't have anything else outside of what hater was bringing to really make it stand on its own. So I feel like we got a lot of that tonight. I feel like the alien abduction sketch is probably another one of those where it's just, okay, here's a really fun wig for a hater. And we know he's going to just be able to make that character shine, but the rest of the sketch is still kind of lumbering around him. So I felt like there was some of that. And that's the only thing that I feel like just slightly pulls it down from being a genuine classic for me. Okay. So it was close. It was close. Yeah. It was very close. No. And I, 
I almost went with great too. So I'm like, if there's such a thing as a low classic, <laughs> a, a marginal classic, it's <laughs> a marginal classic. Yeah. Like think about it. They, they led with California. That's kind of what I'm saying is like, they kicked off the show with Bill Hader's greatest hits because it's an immediate win. And that just to me, doesn't feel like the level of unique content that I want to see in a classic episode. Ah, but when I think about it, other classic episodes, some of the reasons we give them classic is, is because, uh, in a way it was easy at that time. Like we gave Chappelle classic. That's easy to rehash old Chappelle show characters. That's easy to make comments on Trump who was just elected. But you know what? That's different. That is so different. First off, they only did one Chappelle show sketch where they brought in a bunch of old characters in like a walking dead mashup. Yeah. So they contained it into one sketch of fan service because you need that. That's what Stefan was tonight. So if it had just been Stefan and the rest of it was fresh material, then I'd be like, okay, if as long as that fresh material was good, we might be looking at classic, but Chappelle had never hosted before. We didn't know what he was going to bring. It was in the wake of the biggest election upset in us history. So the whole world was just on fire, you know, like, so there was a lot that was feeding into the Chappelle episode that isn't feeding into this one. So I don't know if I think that's like a fair comparison. I feel like this was easier than the Chappelle episode where they literally had to scrap half their material on Wednesday night and, and try and refashion the show in the wake of the election upset. That's, you know, that's a historic SNL outing for many different reasons. Fair enough. Okay. All right. No, I see, I see your point, but I'm, I'll keep my classic. All right. Fair enough. Uh, you got anything else to say about this one? No, you, uh, you do the thing and let's get out of here. All right. That's a cast. Thanks as always to Steve Finn. And thanks as well to our repertory player patrons, Jonathan Jordan and Aaron and Trader. If you're enjoying our podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Our patrons get early ad free access to each new podcast episode, as well as many other exclusive member rewards. You can learn more about all the ways you can support the cast at SNL afterparty.fm. We'll be back in three weeks when SNL returns with host Chadwick Boseman and musical guest Cardi B. This has been episode number 44 of the Saturday night live after party podcast. I'm John Murray. Good night. And have a pleasant tomorrow. Thanks, RK Fire, Fred Armisen, John Goodman, John Mulaney. I love you guys so much. You can party in the VIP room with a group of human squatty potties. Uh, what is a human squatty potty? It's that thing of, you know what, it's a new era, and I don't want to say a word that could be insensitive. May I consult my lawyer quickly? Uh, sure, yeah. Great. He's an attorney and a conceptual piss artist <laughs> named Shy. Shy? Hello, gentlemen. How are you? <laughs> Guy, do people still use the word? <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs>
Human squatty potties. It's that thing of when you sit on the toilet and to have good posture, two little people <laughs> crouch on the bathroom floor and you put your feet on their head. <laughs> I'm really glad you made sure to make that not insensitive. Thank you very much. That's great.